Welcome back to the Beyond the Wire podcast. I am your host, Tim Keller, along with me, as he always is, is Mr. Matt Disher. Matt, the, the shelves behind you, they're, they're slowly growing with what they have on them. It looks good. Those are called books, Tim. Books. Oh. You, you read them. I don't I don't read them. I just have them up there for, for decoration. You, you've been told that that's what you do with these things called books. Well, the, the idea was I get shelves so I can put books on them so I look like I'm smart. I got you. Um, actually, I do. I I have read most of these. I've I've read some of the ones over here. I, some of them I have not. I get books for for different events that I go to. Um, I've got uh, I've got a book up there from Brian Anderson. No turning back. Gosh, I've got the General Mattis book up there. Nice. Uh, Once a Warrior from Jake Wood, who is uh, the CEO of Team Rubicon. Those are probably the three up on that side that I have not read yet. But um, I have my. I have my, these are like the self-help help books, and these are the military-esque books. Gotcha. Yeah. So, The Idiot's Guide to Podcasting. Maybe. <laughs> that would be on the self-help <laughs> side. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha, Matt. We're getting uh, there. Yeah. We also have a fantastic guest, uh, former Army recruiter, and now he's a sales professional, Caleb Shahadi. Did I say that right? Shahadi. Shahadi. Yeah. My apologies. I try. I, I'm not great with this. <laughs> it's great for telemarketers. Yeah. Matt, I'm going to have to borrow that book then. <laughs> um, <laughs> but as we always like to do, we like to get into some news first. And, um, you know, let, let's just start with a serious one. You know, military.com, great articles on there. The, the first one that popped out to me this morning was the age-old question during an interview, what is your biggest weakness? I know for, for young individuals just getting out of the service or maybe on their first couple job interviews when faced with this question, really don't know how to answer this, especially if they've never heard this before. And they're going to probably stumble, I, I'll just, I'll work until you tell me I can't. And then I, yeah. And, and really HR or the hiring manager that's sitting there in front of you, eh, they can Come see on. right through that answer. Yeah. Uh, or, or as, uh, as, as we joked a little bit before we went live, uh, I was posing this question as a young man, and I was just like, I'm, I'm super dedicated, and I'll do whatever you tell me to do. And, you know, Matt, Matt joked, I'm just such a giver, you know? I, hey. I can't stop giving. Yeah. I just can't stop giving. I don't know how to stop it. Or, uh, you know, my favorite is, I can't, I really like Oreos. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm addicted to Oreos. I can't stop eating them. And then they just slowly slide an Oreo in their mouth. Is this okay? <laughs> This is one of those questions that they ask you to see if you can do a little bit of self-reflection. So, mm -hmm. so in, in all seriousness, I have been asked this question before. I recently filled out an application for a leadership program. Uh, and, and one of the questions was, what do you see as your biggest opportunity? Which is another way to say, what is your biggest weakness? Yep. And I actually went to some of my coworkers, including my boss, and I said, Hey, how would I answer this question? Like, what, where would I, what would you say I need to improve? And and I've heard this from from two two different uh, supervisors in my career, and that is that I need to talk about the successes more often. I I need to brag more, and I know that that's a funny thing to say. Uh, I tend not to show off successes. Like the successes sit there and they speak for themselves, and that's how I that's how I operate. So that's a a great example of what that question is really asking you. It's like, what do you need to do better in the workplace? What do you need to improve? Um. I wouldn't recommend going in there and saying, you know what, I'm late to work every day, yeah. and I, I need to get better at that. I I, I have an alarm. I just never set it. I, right. I like to drink beer at lunch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, six or eight of them because you won't get that job. You yeah. know. Yeah, I like a, I like a nice ham and cheese sandwich. You know, goes great with ham and cheese. Miller Lite. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely love it. Absolutely in the break, in the break room. Yeah. <laughs> what time's lunchtime? I'm kind of thirsty. <laughs> um, yeah. I. It is. It is a. It's a question. I honestly, on the past few interviews I've done over the past few years, that one doesn't come up. Most of these interview questions um, are now kind of corporate. Uh, they they want to hear about a time. Tell me about a time where, you know, your team was failing or was struggling and. You know, what did you do to help the team succeed and tell us how it worked? Right. You know, it's more it's more of those type questions nowadays, that's, it seems. That's called behavioral based interviewing. And they're yeah. trying to, to, to figure out your behavior, uh, how you responded to certain criteria, certain stimuli, situations, et cetera. 
and, and really the idea there is that your past performance is a great indicator of how you will perform in the future. So, um, so that's, that's not uncommon. More companies are going toward that anyway, but it is. It's because I, I think it's hard to tell, you know, Hey, tell me about a time when a unicorn came crashing into the office. You know, you're not going to have made that up before you went into the interview. You're yeah. going to have to think of that on the fly and, and give them a, a serious answer. I think they're supposed to be a little bit less judgmental too. There's right. you know, complete the star. Uh, right. It's probably a familiar term with Matt. Um, yeah. They just, you know, tell me about a situation, a time, and uh, what were the results of it? And, and just go through that. I've used that technique when I interview now with uh, potential job opportunities and been successful because it kind of people that aren't experienced in that, I think interviewers, I mean, they, uh, tend to not, you know, they, it kind of blows them away mm-hmm. you know, because your big corporations have gone to that, but your smaller companies, I don't think have really caught on to it yet. So when you start talking like that, they're like, man, this guy knows what he's talking about. You know yes. what I mean? Yes. <laughs> it, it's, it's also a way to, uh, to give everybody the same interview. So that's the other thing is that you, you're not giving one person an advantage over another. Somebody can't come back and say, hey, it, you didn't ask me the same questions that you asked Bob over there. So it, it takes out the the bias or just, you know potential to discriminate. Just give me the same answer for, or give me the same question for everybody. Mm-hmm. And it helps the interviewer along too, because, you know, there, a lot of people don't have that experience, you know, of how to interview. And I've been in interviews where the person interviewing me talked 90% of the time. And you're like, well, are you going to ask me about me or are you just going to keep yeah. telling, talking about <laughs> the job? Right. So. Absolutely. Uh, so, hey, everybody knows that the COVID-19 vaccines are a big deal. As a matter of fact, I got my second vaccine uh, Saturday. And I'll tell you what, if there was a ribbon for, you know, the biggest baby award right here, big recipient Sunday, I was on yes. my butt. Mm-hmm. Uh, 102 to 103 temperatures all day. Really? body felt like i played uh, a football game left the football game went right to a hockey game and then came home i mean i was you must have had moderna did you have the moderna no i, I had the pfizer yeah really i had pfizer right. number two and it it well, Tim, I, put me down for I, a day i told you that the guy in the alley downtown is not yeah, giving oh. out vaccines that's not <laughs> what you wasn't, got that wasn't pfizer <laughs> oh was you know what? There, there wasn't there wasn't a z in there he just had this cardboard sign his name I was never, F- his name was pfizer Pfizer. <laughs> there wasn't a z dang it well that explains the chills then uh no that uh but i i was i was glad to get vaccinated so you know just it was a rough 24 hour period yeah. though so right um monday morning woke up with just a little bit you know that headache still hanging on few hours into Monday, I was good to go. But um, National Guard troops are um, are working on convoys uh, transporting the COVID-19 vaccines across the state of Texas when a gunman decides to hold them up while transporting these vaccines. So these these uh, National Guard troops are it looks like they probably stopped at a at a pilot uh, travel rest stop truck stop thing, uh, probably. You know, grab a bite to eat quick, uh, use the restrooms, and then get back on their way. About 10 miles, I'm sorry, it wasn't a pilot, it was a love travel station. About 10 miles from this travel station, uh, 66-year-old Larry Harris decides to make multiple attempts to run these vans off the road. Uh, Finally, uh, stopping the vans and then holding these troops at gunpoint, uh, claiming he believes they, they kidnapped a mother and child. Uh, which they did not. Um, what I find mildly, nobody, you know, the, the police showed up, you know, everybody was fine. No one was injured. Uh, no cops, the, you know, Larry himself, nobody was injured. Good old Larry. Uh, but what's, what's interesting about this is you have a bunch of these guard members, no weapons, no, no ammunition. I get it. It's a domestic. You're, you're transporting medicine. I, you know, you would hope you don't need weapons. Uh, you know, you know I, I thought about this, too. When we were talking about this because I'm like, you know, these days you, you have these are military troops and military vehicles. Mm-hmm. There are people out there that might think and you know, every time there's a tank on a train, people are like, oh, no, the invasion's happening. You know, I, I would just think that you would always have your transporting military gear. Um, 
somebody would be armed in that convoy. And, and, and this is a situation, you know, I was going from Camp Pendleton to 29 Palms for a, a CACS exercise one time. This is back in the early 2000s. And I was on the vehicle. I was on the truck that was transporting all the machine guns. And so I had to be armed. I had to be loaded up. And we had to stop at a, a rest area too. And I had another guy with me. So we had two gear guards, but I had to go into a, um, a Burger King to use the restroom. So I didn't want to, I didn't want to go on the side of the road in front of all these cars. We had this Burger King and I had a M16 with a 203 underslung, <laughs> slung across my back and I'm carrying a, uh, an M9 pistol on my, on my front. And I walked into this place and this place was crowded. Highway side Burger King, a thousand people in there stopped. Like the music came to a screeching halt. This, this devil dog walks in. I got this 203 strapped on me. Anyway, but we were always armed. We were always armed and we were always in a convoy. There were always, always a, a handful of us. And I was sitting there parked in this parking lot next to an LAV convoy. Which, by the way, would be awesome transporting armored vehicles up, just driving your LAV up the highway in Southern California. So, yeah, I mean, you know, whatever. It sounds like Larry was having some sort of issue other than uh, a problem says, with the National Guard. It says Mr. Harris appeared to be mentally disturbed. Yeah, you're you're trying to run a bunch of uh, troops off the road. Probably something's going on with you. Um, did they mess up your order, Matt? <laughs> They didn't mess up my order. Uh, they, they wouldn't. They wouldn't dare. They, he's like, I said extra pickles, and he cocks the you, hammer back on me. You, you gave me eight pickles. I said extra. They're like, hey, yes, sir. Of course, yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh my! And uh, you know, sometimes an article's headline just kind of reaches out and grabs you. And I'll say for this last piece of news, this is exactly what this headline did. I'm going to read it to everybody here. And then we'll get into it. Air Force says it rarely loses fighter target drones days after one washes ashore in Florida. So it's like, hey, we didn't let anybody know we lost one of these. But since you found it, hey, we've been looking for that. This <laughs> rarely happens. So we were looking at this and each of these drones costs five, just <clears throat> low, low price, bargain price of $570,000. And so great deal. Yeah, so when you've lost, you rarely lose these, and we were looking at the stats, and it looks like they recover about 62% of them. So I made the assumption that we have 20 of them. Uh, and if we, we recover 62% of them, that means that we've lost $4.5 million worth of drones that, that just fell into the ocean and are now washing up on the beach where, you know, little Billy, who's building a sandcastle, can, now these drones aren't armed. They're just airplanes that like, they're like what remote control airplanes that fly around they can shoot at, but, we rarely lose them. I mean, imagine saying this, like, I rarely crash my Lamborghini. I, I, I rarely burn down a $500,000 house. Yeah. Rarely. It happens yeah. sometimes. A few times a year, you know, buy a Lambo, slam it into a wall. Right. I own 20 of them. I crash 40% of them. Uh, it's it, fine. It appears that they... Um, they train in north in, in northern Florida and over the Gulf of Mexico. Um, you know, simulate fighting each other. Uh, they have about a 720 square mile area over the land and about another 123 123,000 square mile area over the open water uh, for training and operational testing for its equipment. Uh, it's saying here, uh, an MQ-9 Reaper drone shot a live air-to-air -air Block Two missile. At one of these BQM-167 drones, uh, which simulated a cruise missile, um, but what they found the the one they found on the uh, the shores is the BQM-167, which which Matt said has that price tag of five hundred seventy thousand dollars. You know, if if you're going to lose half a million dollars worth of equipment, there should be somebody saying like, "Hey, in case somebody sees, maybe put a couple flyers up on the local neighborhood's light pol light poles. Hey, missing." Put a little right. picture of your drone up there, you know. Do not chase. His yeah. name is his name is Tommy. Yeah. <laughs> Just call him Tommy. Yeah. Uh, actually, these things are called Skeeter. Did you notice that? The Skeeter yes, is capable Skeeter. of pulling nine G's. The Skeeter. So yeah, you just put a, a little picture up, a little flyer up on the light pole, missing. It says Skeeter. If found, right call orange. this number. <laughs> um well, how much would like a little beacon that you know it it, it falls in the water, it goes off like GPS type right. tracking. 
You'd think yeah. they'd be able to find these a little bit better? <laughs> that, just sounds, that sounds like too much common sense, but let's raise taxes. Yeah. Let's raise taxes. <laughs> um, it says just one to two a year on, are unable to be retrieved. I mean, yeah, just half a million to a million dollars worth of stuff mm-hmm. every year. We, yeah. we lost it. We don't know where it right. is. Sorry. Well, now, in, in the grand scheme, like if they're flying a thousand of these and one to two are not recoverable, then okay. Yeah. All right. I, I get it. It's still a lot of money. I get it. It, it is pretty cool. If you go on YouTube and look up SeaWiz, like C-I-W-S, the SeaWiz guns on the side of a Navy ship, I, it's not these same things, but like they'll fire a missile at a SeaWiz gun, and that thing will rip it apart in midair. It's awesome. And it's it's probably the same type of thing here. They need these things to come flying in like a missile or an airplane, and they got to shoot it down. But uh, yeah, I have no idea. You know, I made the assumption that they have 20 of them, and if they, if they don't recover 40% of them, then that's... Yeah. Uh, Again, a bargain price of four point five million dollars. I'll tell you what. There's there's a specialized boat uh, squadron battalion. It doesn't say what what size is. I'm sure it's just a handful of people that are there to retrieve any drones that land in the water. Uh, I think that'd be a pretty sweet job. Just I'm out on the water in Florida all day. Oh, you guys, another one went down in the water. I'll go. I'll go look around. <laughs> I just I'd sit out there in my boat, turn on the Beyond the Wire podcast, and then yeah. just wait for one of those things to fall in the water. Yeah, yeah. and I, I actually bring my fishing pole. Yeah, yeah. You never know what you're going to catch out there. Right? Might be a drone, might be a fish. Could be. Could be. I know. I know. When I'm at the beach this this uh, summer, I'm going to be looking for a bright orange drone, possibly floating up to me. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm going down there this year too. So I, I I may I may take it home with me. I'm going to bring my metal detector. It'll, I'm going to sell it on eBay. Listen, I'll sell this for four hundred and eighty thousand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm going to hang mine up right here behind me. <laughs> To somebody overseas. And then the next thing you know, the FBI is knocking on my door. Yeah. Yep. So, What's that behind you, Tim? Uh, I call it Skeeter. It's, <laughs> that's my boy Skeeter. So. <laughs> let's, uh, let's, let's transition. Let's get into our, our, our guest a little bit today. So, Caleb, you were a recruiter for a while there in the Army. What did you originally get into the Army to do that? I joined as infantry. Okay. Um, a little bit of backstory with me. Uh, out of high school for a few years, uh, mowing grass for a company I mowed with and um, not really doing anything where that's career-based, you know. Mm-hmm. So I uh, call up a recruiter one night, Army recruiter. Being a recruiter, this makes a whole lot more great greatness story than uh, before. But I call him up and I'm like, hey, I want to I look at joining the Army. He's like, I said, can I come? set up an appointment. He's like, Oh, I'm available right now. So I'm a call in. Um, if you've been a recruiter, you know what that is. It's like, so you think, uh, one or two ways this is going to go. He's probably, uh, a rock or he's got some criminal offense or something like that. He's not going to be eligible to join. So I go take the pre ASVAB. I don't have any of those things that would disqualify me. I do great on the pre ASVAB anyways. Uh, so he's, this recruiter is excited, right? So I go, Join the army. Uh, I get up there. I want to be a diesel mechanic. And the, uh, guy says, well, if you go in the infantry, you get a big bonus. So I'm like, huh, really? So I set up, I didn't really know anything about the infantry, but so I wasn't some gung ho guy. Like I want to do this and that. So I go, uh, train and all that stuff. First duty stations, Fort Stewart, Georgia. Uh, that is, third id they're a uh, mechanized infantry do that for a few years go to kosovo with them come back and uh re-enlist and go to 101st airborne um, was there for iraq uh first boots on the ground all that stuff and then uh, i get back from iraq and i get put on recruiting um so i get they let you, you know, kind of request where you want to be. And I ended up going real close to where I grew up in Ohio and, um, spent the next three and a half years doing that. And when it was time to reenlist, uh, some personal things that happened in my life, I got married, you know, I want to settle down, things like that. Um, so got out and, uh, transitioned to civilian life. And moved to Nashville, Tennessee. So um, that's there's been several things go on since then. But um, my first job, you know, you you you, you think and uh, 
you know, me and Matt talked about this previously, but you think when you get out that you're going to be able to just do all these great things. Like, mm-hmm. and when you interview, like we were talking about earlier, you know, you, uh, you think, well, they're just going to hire me because I'm getting out of the army. Yeah. I mean, and I'm a war veteran and I did all this and, uh, they're like, oh, well, we got this entry-level job, and mm-hmm. that's what I started. I didn't mind, you know, military. That's, you know, kind of like what your question was. I'm going to do what I have to do to get where I want to be, right? Mm-hmm. And it, But it was a struggle. You're kind of like, well, when am I going to get where I want to be? So, <laughs> Yeah, that, that, that caught my eye when I posted that video on, on LinkedIn, and you, you commented in there. And the, the, my video was about leaving the room, being inside of the room, uh, your military service is like being inside of a room. You've got all these people inside of the room with you and everything you know is inside of that room. And then one day the door opens and you come out and, and you said something along the lines of, uh, I went from being a somebody to a nobody. Mm-hmm. Can, can you tell us a little bit more about that? How does that feel? What does that mean? You know, it, when you're in the military, any branch, I think you feel like you're uh, 10 feet tall and bulletproof. Mm-hmm. You're, it's ingrained in you. You're, you know, it's, you, you march to that, you know, um, and then, uh, so, and you're working hard towards those, the metrics that you're measured by, or a lot of them, especially with my MLS was, uh, physical, you know, how, how fast you can run, how many push-ups, sit-ups, all those things. And then you get out of the military and there's no metrics that measure your physical stamina or anything Mm -hmm. like that. It's all based on what did you do for me today? You know, you go into sales, it's how much did you sell? You go in, you know, managing, how's your team doing? Whatever production, how many widgets did you build today? So it's, um, and you go from thinking that you're somebody, which you are, I mean, you're a proud veteran. You should be proud of that, but, I don't think that civilian life sees a lot of that leadership skills and the skills you've obtained while being in the military as good selling points. Mm -hmm. Um, You're what I was told with my first job was we'll bring you in the entry level job. uh, See, and then maybe you can work up from there, you know, so I'm working hard, get my numbers up, all those things. Um, in a sales role and opportunity comes out to be a supervisor put in for it guy that started the same day as me, he gets promoted over me. No, you know, and I always right or wrong thought, you know, Hey, I got this military background leadership. I felt like I would have an edge for whatever reason, but you don't have that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, um, and that's, that's not a negative thing towards, the employer, I think that uh, maybe there could be some changes along the line with military. You know, how we, um, when they're getting out and transitioning, what options are there for them to learn how to interview? Right. Because I don't think when, well, I know when I got out and they helped me write a resume and now I look at my resume, I'm like, they didn't help me write a resume. Yeah. <laughs> that did not sound anything like civilian. A staff right. sergeant should not be on a resume. It needs to say something that fits the the vocabulary of the, the hiring manager. They catches their eye. There's and even now more so than ever, resumes are like uh people peruse over them in about thirty seconds. You got about thirty seconds to catch somebody's attention. Yep. You know? And if you have, you know, my first resume helped that they helped write for me was like three pages long. Mm-hmm. Whoa, <laughs> right. stop. You know, it doesn't need to list everything you did from the time you were born, just snapshots. And right. I don't think that uh, we, that part is done successfully. Right. And it may yep. have changed. I've been out since 2007. Hopefully it's improved. I know there's been a lot of good initiatives and, uh, you know, a lot of people out there that have, fought to make things better for civilians getting out or military getting out into the civilian world to help them cope, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Caleb, I think you, you, you make some great points there. The, the metrics used to compare well, us while we were in the military, it's, it's physical based. It's what can you do physically 
These are the standards that are set. You have to meet or exceed these. And once you get out, nobody cares. You can do a hundred pushups. You can do, you know, 200 sit-ups in, in under two minutes, whatever it is. You can run your three miles. It's okay. How can you help our KPIs get better? How can you help this? How can you, know, how can you drive revenue? How can you increase our sales? How can you increase our production while decreasing our costs? Mm-hmm. And you don't straight out of the military, you don't have any footing in that, in that world. You can't say, well, this is exactly what I can do. Uh, and, and you also mentioned your, your resume, the verbiage there of, I was a staff sergeant who led a platoon and, you know, I had 40 individuals. It's a, Hey, I have, I have uh leadership of, you know, 40 plus individuals, um, operations, intelligence, da, 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 da. It's like you said, it's, it's just taking that big chunk of military verbiage and packaging it up into this clean and concise. Hey, you don't care that I was a staff sergeant or a corporal or whatever. It's I have small team leadership, uh, goal oriented, you know, operations. Honestly, if you took if you took six or eight years of military service or more and tried to plug it into a one page resume, you're going to put about ten percent of the stuff on there. Yeah, it, it you know if you look at people who have done probably any more than four years. I, I could probably fit a four-year career in the military onto a onto a one- or two-page resume. But anything beyond that, you're talking about like somebody who spent 10 years in the military or even 20 years in the military, 20-plus. If you were to put all of their experiences and all of their bullet points down on a piece of paper, it would be a 20-page document, if yeah. not longer. And so what they're trying to do is take a job description or rather uh, a career description and fit a job description at a company. Hey, I'd like to do this underwater basket weaving job. Here's how I line up to it. That's what I always tell people. Take your resume, take your experience, and make it look as much like the job description as is possible. Don't fudge, don't lie. But if you had a little bit of underwater basket weaving experience, put that on that resume and make it look like the job description. But you don't have to put your entire life down on that piece of paper. Um, and it's it, it's 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 one of those things that uh, I, I frequently see it coming out of the military and, and the resources – Caleb, to, to answer the question you said before, the resources have gotten a lot better. Yeah. They were, you know, in the middle 2000s. When I got out, it was like, here's how you write a resume. Put your name at the top and then, yeah. you know, and that's it. Do you Say not things you name? did. <laughs> right. Say things you did. Well, I remember, I distinctly remember this. I remember the, the half an hour long conversation about what type of resume paper to use. And I don't know if you guys ever had that conversation. I've, I remember I've had in-depth part. conversations about the papers. They're like, make sure that the watermark is facing the right way for the front of the sheet. And yeah. I, I'm thinking back on that now. Like, you could hand me a piece of plywood with a resume etched on it, and that might be good enough. Yeah. Like, I don't care about what kind it's of the paper. Content. Right. It's the content. It could be smeared with mud. And if you walk up to me and shake my hand, and you're a top, like you're a top performer with a you know, really good attitude, like I'm, I'm probably going to stop and talk to you versus peruse your resume. Matt, I'm, I'm, I'm happy you said smeared with mud. If you said smeared with blood, that one might. I, <laughs> uh, no, if it was you might blood, not be the fit. <laughs> smeared with blood, I'd be like, ah, another marine, huh? <laughs> no. You know, it's it, and it really is like it's it's one of those things like the resume, the resume. Everybody puts so much emphasis on the resume, but the resume these days for me, the resume is great. Uh, I'm looking at your LinkedIn profile. I'm looking at how you approach me in an email. Like, hey, I, you know, don't don't send me a note and say, hey, what do you have for me? I can't do anything with that. Send me a note and say, hey, you know, my name is Caleb. I've got all this experience. I've got more experience on the civilian side. You know what? I'm after this position in your company. I think I'd be a top performer. Tell me how I get in the door. That right there is like, wow, every hiring manager wants to hire that person mm-hmm. uh, to an extent, you know, given experience, et cetera. But um, we were talking before about the, you know, you're, 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 you're going from somebody to nobody. And I, I recall this very distinctly. You know, if you look at the military for enlisted and, and even officer, you know, 19, 20, 21 years old, you're leading troops. Uh, I couldn't buy a beer in a bar legally. And I was in charge of, you know, Probably hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars of weapons and weapon systems. And I was shooting, a, you know, the javelin missile simulators and like, you know, sliding out of ropes on a helicopter and doing all this cool stuff that most men will only ever see in movies or play on video games. Mm-hmm. And then one day I hung up that uniform and came out and people looked at me like I had two heads. 
and, and hey, the best we can do is you can empty these trash cans, which is an honorable profession, but that's not what I want to do. And that's not what I've done. Like show, show me the way. So I, I'm with you. That's why it struck me, Caleb, that, that, that statement that, uh, yeah, you go from being somebody to nobody suddenly. And it's it, the nobody comes from the civilian, your civilian counterparts are not aware of what you've done if they haven't been there. I think they're appreciative, you know, sure. they appreciate what you did. And I don't want to be misconstrued as that, but no. I think that they, they just don't get it. You know, they think right. that, they think that what you did was a video game or a movie mm -hmm. for the past myself, nine plus nine and a half years almost. Um, to do all that, they think that's what, you, oh, you were infantry. You must have. Right. You know, the, the famous old question, you know, what'd you do? Do you know how many things right. like that? Yeah. That's what they automatically right. think. Yep. I've been asked that question in interviews. I've been asked that question first day on the job, you know, and you're like, uh, I don't really want to talk about that or, or whatever, but that's my point is, is that's what they think. That's what yeah. they think the military I, is, is. I always, I always lean in and like cock an eyebrow and say, I may have hurt a couple of people's feelings. <laughs> like, I don't want to ask any more questions, <laughs> but, but yeah, you're right. I think that that's where we have a responsibility now. That this is, and this is this discussion. You know, I, I don't ever want to be misconstrued as somebody who's complaining that nobody knows what we did or what we do in the military or what they, they understand. What I, what I want people to hear is that this is the best talent in the entire world. Yeah. That, that these men and women who put on this uniform, uh, in, in so many cases, and not everybody, you know, not everybody that serves in the military is, is, you know, your top performer, your amazing rock star. And we, we know that. But what it, what it is, is a competitive set of talent that any company can take advantage of. And if you, if you understand what they've done, or you at least try to understand or try to interpret it, man, I mean, it, game changing. It's game changing. Um, I always talk about the, the machinist mates or, you know, somebody like that off of a Navy ship, for example. These are people that if the ship breaks in the middle of the ocean, you can't pull it into like the, the gas station and, yeah. and get old, you know, old Bob to come out and fix it for you. Like you've got to keep that thing running out in the Pacific Ocean during a storm. These are people that know how to, I mean, they will literally machine and create parts from nothing, not from nothing, but they have to keep the ship running. This is a, a billion dollar aircraft carrier, for example, or a submarine uh, underwater for months at a time. You can't just say, hey, let's pull it back into port. We've got nuclear missiles on this thing, you know? Yeah. So that's just a, a prime example. I could talk about it all day long, but these are men and women that are trained in zero fail environments and they have more classroom time and education in a four year military enlistment than a college student does. You know, it's just a, a matter of tapping into what that looks like from a civilian sector. You guys kind of both brought this up, but you know, when people are just transitioning out, most of them themselves still don't fully understand their own potential. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's that old, you got a big hunk of coal. All these people getting out of this big hunk of coal, they're rough around the edges. They're a little dirty from their time in the service. They still got some sand in their pockets, some, some mud on their face. You just, you gotta, you gotta get in there. You gotta work them a little bit. You gotta start sanding them down and you're going to expose this diamond slowly. And you just got to keep working it, keep working it, work on those, uh, you know, not, not your, not your weaknesses, but your, opportunities as they like to call them now you know mm -hmm. find those opportunities and keep working on those opportunities and before you know it they're going to be nice they're going to be smooth they're going to be rock steady and ready to go and more of them than not will turn into as matt likes to say is turn into these rock stars mm -hmm. you know? and, and 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 to add to that the employer has you know for the employer's interest mm -hmm. the employer has the interest of making this person better and polishing them up mm -hmm. But also you, the transitioner, you, the prior service member, this is 180% your responsibility. Look for those opportunities to become what I call the obvious choice. I know we've all heard that probably through our careers. Be the obvious choice. When they go to interview five people, you're the one. You're the smartest person in the room because you've made yourself the obvious choice. Uh, it is nobody else's responsibility to get to get you the education or the experience that you need to right. be to be the best person in your job. If you want to be the best person in your job, go out and hunt it down and get it. It's I call it being bulletproof. It is, yeah. Right. I'm, you know, we're we're all going to walk into this uh, interview room. The however many, the seven candidates. We're going to line up in front of this firing squad of interviewers, and I'm the one that's bulletproof. Yep. They're not taking me down. I'll be the one left standing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, I think you 
hit on a good point earlier, Matt, where uh, employers don't look at resumes like they used to. You know, you're looking at LinkedIn and Facebook or all right. these things. You know, you're, um, my, my current job, I didn't even apply for it. They reached out to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it, that's, <laughs> that's the world we live in. I've, uh, I've, I've had so many opportunities like that over the years where, where I just did network and I showed up at the right events. I shook the right hands. And then when it came time to fill a position, uh, somebody was leaving a position or somebody was opening a position like, Hey, I'm opening this position. I'd really like to talk to you about it. Hmm. Uh, that's been, that's been the bulk of my, of, of my experiences as well. And I tell, I tell people that all the time because it, you know, shamelessly, that's the way you want to be. You, you want to be again, the obvious choice. You want people to know that what you're capable of so that when a job opens and you just knock at somebody's door, like, Hey, I'm, I'm interested in taking a look. They don't even want to look at your resume. They just want to bring you into the office and have an interview. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, 2003, 2004, you said, Caleb, you got out in 07? Yes. Yep. I mean, so it was the Internet was really starting to pick up around that time with social media and things like that. But at that time, it's, uh, you know, find that job, submit the resume, wait to get the call to set up the interview. You might call ahead and, hey, just wanted to check in. I submitted my resume. Uh, can I talk to the hiring manager? And you might do that. But you. That, that's about as far as it's going to go. Yeah. Nowadays, yeah, you can submit your resume and then more than likely, if you got a couple bullet points on there that caught their eye in that 30-second glance, then they're going to go look at that social media. Hmm. Ah, he's posting some stuff we don't really like. Let's push this <laughs> one off. Okay. Now now we've whittled this pack down. You know, Now they, they, can, they can reach out to you via email and they're going to start a conversation before you didn't have any face-to-face or any interaction with those individuals until you were in that interview room. And that was your one time to make the impression. Now you can mess up on your social media. You can mess up in an email. So you need to, you know, maintain a professional front at all times. Mm-hmm. Well, and even so now, you know, with, uh, with COVID and everything, this, the interview process has changed to the format we're in right now. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's, it's teams or zoom or whatever. And my boss, I've never even met him, you know, in oh, really? person. You know, and he doesn't even it, remote has become a di- uh, a different dynamic now. So there's a lot of changes that probably um, the military is going to have to adjust for too. You know, how do you how do you interview when you're talking like this? It it can be a little different, but so there's right. there's opportunities. <laughs> right, right. Uh, uh, something that you just you just said, Tim. Uh, also, it's that social media piece. Uh, that is that you know, especially in election season. We, we just went through an election season. We're, we're only three years uh, away from more of those posts coming. Uh, on. Uh, so, I not see, even three. Not even three. Yeah, <laughs> I see. I see just a ton of very heated uh, conversations happening yes. between people, and, and I have gone in uh, as a recruiter in my career. I've gone in and looked at people's social media things. I've searched them on LinkedIn. I've searched them in different places. LinkedIn, especially, because LinkedIn is supposed to be a professional environment. And every once in a while, you catch the person writing some political stuff in there. And you can go to people's LinkedIn profiles and see where they've commented and where they've left comments and likes and interactions. And it is, uh, it's almost like career destructive to do something like go join one of those political conversations on, on, on LinkedIn. We've gotten to this point or, or even Facebook, especially if it's public, people can see you writing that. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not saying that you know, we're entitled to our opinions and, and, you know, here in the United States, we, we have the ability to kind of go out and say what we want to say. And that's within reason, but there are still things that can preclude you from being employed at certain places. And especially if you become a, let's call it like a social media risk, like somebody who's out writing things that are like maybe not jiving with what the company is, yeah. you know, the company's, uh, uh, persona might be, but, I always tell people, leave that kind of stuff out of there. Like, don't get on LinkedIn. I, people always want to tell everybody like, what their opinion is. They always want to yeah. share, like, hey, you know, I disagree with this, or this is how the election went. Good for you. Have that conversation around the bonfire in your backyard, not on LinkedIn when you're looking for a job. Yeah. It's going to knock you out. Well, did you hear the the famous, you may have heard this story before, the the girl that's on her way home, I think she is from South Africa, maybe. She's getting ready to board a plane uh, around Christmas time, and she posted a tweet that was very derogatory. It was, 
she was fired in air. She didn't even know she'd lost her job. It was, she a, it was a reporter. She was, she landed in South yes. Africa. And when she turned her phone back on, a million mentions on Twitter, <laughs> uh, phone calls from friends and family. Her, her work, uh, was reaching out to her. And yeah, she, she landed without a career. And yeah. yeah. Whoa. Um, yeah, it definitely, uh, especially now. I mean, you're, you're putting that out there to the entire world, essentially, because if one person in your, you know, network or group of friends on Facebook or whatever it is, followers on Twitter sees that, doesn't agree with it, they decide to share it. You've now grown, you know, the, the, the people that see that one of those individuals share it and it just goes and goes right. and goes. And before you know it, millions right. of people have seen this and. And, and it, you know, in your personal networks, like your, your Facebook and like those are the places where you keep those, you know, the, the discord, political discord, fine. It, you know, that's, that's where it is. And I'm, I'm one of those people too. I love having those conversations, but nothing ever becomes nasty. Nothing ever becomes like charged to the point where somebody's going to be offended. Uh, but particularly I would never, ever, ever have that conversation into a network where I'm trying to, that I'm trying to use for, uh, for my my career progression, you you simply cannot. It's um, it's 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 destructive. It's the worst thing you could do. Caleb, I wanted to I wanted to talk about your uh, your time as a recruiter. How how'd that go for you? Is that really kind of what got you into sales? Did you realize, hey, I have a talent for this? Absolutely. This okay. Yes. It's uh, so you know you get you get voluntold to yeah. do it. <laughs> um, and uh, so recruiting duty, it's it's a lot of hours. You know, our sergeant major told us, sat us down in the room, all these new recruiters. There's like, uh, I think the, there was over 30 of us, which is pretty big swing because we'd all been in Iraq. And then there's this influx of swapping positions and stuff like that because they held recruiters. They were supposed to do it three years. They held them for a little longer or whatever. So anyways, so we're sitting in this big room. And, uh, Sergeant Major, you know, he thinks he knows the answer, but he didn't get the answer he thought he would. He says, you know, how many of you would rather be over in Iraq in the desert than recruiting? You know, stand up. Well, the whole room stood up. They'd rather, you know, that this, I didn't join the army to be a recruiter. Right. So I, you know, I didn't like it at first. I didn't want to do it. But the more I got into it, I really enjoyed it. I'm helping these kids that maybe, you know, I can remember going to this one kid's house and his mom, dad, sister, uncle, grandparents all live in this three bedroom house. He's living in the garage. And I, he got, he joined the army. Um, I wish I could track him down and see where he is now, but yeah. you know, you changed his life. Hey, you gave him a, a, a way out. Yes, exactly. Um, and there was many situations where, you know, go to the projects and stuff like that and you're helping a kid out and you just, um, I think that's what, what I enjoyed of recruiting is I felt like I was doing something, uh, for someone. Mm -hmm. Um, and I still use that today with my sales. It's so much sales now is about you know, what can you do for me service wise and things like that? I mean, because everybody's got the same widget. Yeah. It's how fast can you get that widget to my doorstep so I can, right. you know, be yeah. productive with it. So, um, it's, you know, it's, it's still helping people, you know, it's, it's not the same, I guess, um, results where you're turning their life into something. <laughs> uh, but I, I think that that's, that gave me passion for, for getting into sales and, and just being able, I, I enjoy talking to people, learning about their life, learning about what their business and things like that, what they like, don't like, all those things. And I think if you have a passion for what you're doing, you're just going to excel at it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's uh, no different than what you guys are doing. You're going to, you're going to, uh, if you have a, a passion for it, it's going to be great. If you're just kind of like, yeah, well, I'm going to do this today because I got to make the donuts. <laughs> It's, it's just not, you're not going to enjoy it and nobody else around you is either. Who wouldn't enjoy making donuts? Donuts are okay. <laughs> I don't want to eat donuts. Yeah. <laughs> Make them that easy. Yeah. Uh, okay, Caleb, I wanted to ask when you were giving us a little bit of your background, like how you ended up in the, uh, in the army, it, it sounded like you made it extremely easy on that recruiter. I wanted to know if anybody made it that easy on you. 
So you kind of called him, said, hey, I'm, I'm looking at going in the army. What can you do for him? And he's like, hey, come on, let's talk. And he went down, like, I want to be a mechanic. He's like, how about the uh, infantry? Like, okay, <laughs> yeah, I'll take that. I didn't really have any, I can't think of any, uh, I'd had call-ins and stuff yeah. like that, but it seemed like the it was the opposite of that. You yeah, know? most well, of them I got chasing this, them down. Yeah, I got yeah. I got to chase them down or they they walk in and they got uh, some background and when I was recruiting there was a lot of leniency and we let a lot of people in that maybe gave them second chances so to speak with their criminal background or or whatever and um and I was you know I was willing to work with them to try to give them that that chance um and a lot of recruiters don't do that um I actually went to the air force recruiter before I joined the army and he didn't want to give me really the time of day. He was just like, well, you know, and you got, I was married at the time and you got to do this and da, 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 da. And I just got, you know, and then I call up the army recruiter and I'm like, can I come down right now? I got some time. Sure. You know, it's six 30 at night. I'm like, really? You're still there. Mm-hmm. Little did I know that was <laughs> every night of recruiter. Yeah. We, we've, <laughs> we've had this conversation. We've had a handful of recruiters in here and we've had this conversation and it's funny that and not to pick on the air force, but this is not the first time. That's why I'm over here laughing when you said the, re- the Air Force recruiter's like, no, nah, I don't really. It, it's not the first time I've heard that. And that was also my own experience, too. When when I went to join the Marines, I walked in to talk to all the recruiters, and they were in one short hallway. So it's Marines and Air Force on the left side, Army and Navy on the right side. And the Navy guys were in there, like, watching a movie with the lights off. And, you know, they, they wanted to talk to me, but they weren't in a hurry. The Army's office was like a party. There were like 16 recruiters in there and like 400 kids. Mm-hmm. Um, the Marines' office was painted bright red. And I didn't see anybody in there when I walked past, but all the lights were on. And the Air Force guy was never, ever, ever there. Not before 10, for sure. Right. I mean, just <laughs> like I'd, I'd show He's up. out by five. Yeah. <laughs> they were never there. But the but as I was trying to sneak out of the building, after I talked to everybody, I was trying to sneak out of the building, this this uh, Marine Master Sergeant came out with like 400 rows of ribbons and medals on in his dress blues. He's like, hey, buddy, let's have a quick chat. And that was it. I was, I was like, sign me up. If I can wear that uniform, sign me up. <laughs> uh, can I touch one of those medals? Right. <laughs> right. No. <laughs> Get away from me. <laughs> um, uh, but I, I, I would like to hear, cause I'd love to hear the, the, the stories of recruiters in the military. Did, did you have cable, Caleb, did you have any, any, uh, like special tactics or fun stories of things that you did to go get people? Like we heard one story from a recruiter who went and rented, like paid for a kiosk in a mall. And then when the other branches would come in and try to like walk around the mall, the mall security would actually kick them out because they weren't paying customers. And then Rob, we had Rob Arndt on here one time. He was a Marine recruiter and, and he said that he would sneak into the Air Force office sometimes and like call the candidates the Air Force recruiter was talking to and like leave really nasty messages on their, <laughs> on their voicemails. <laughs> hey, Mrs. Jones, your son's a waste of space and we don't need him. And then the next day, hey, Mrs. Jones, I'm just checking in, how, seeing how Tommy's been. Yep. Uh, you know, this is, this is us down here at the Marine Corps recruiting station. Just, you know, if he's ever interested in joining up, we'd love to talk to him. He sounds like a upstanding guy. Mrs. Jones would call back and be like, "That Air Force guy was really mean." Yeah. <laughs> I don't oh, think yeah. they did anything that extreme with the kiosk or, or uh, you know, called called the list or anything. I had my own list to deal with, but I think probably I uh, my my favorite thing to do was go to these schools before or, or when the teachers had in service days. And I'd get a catered lunch for them. Mm-hmm. So they're real, you know, hey, all this guy got us lunch, all this stuff. Oh, we yep. really appreciate it. So when can I present to your class? Yep. And I did more presentations that way because they're like, oh, yeah, well, he bought us lunch. So, And I did that pretty much all my schools. I did that for all. Did you oh, have yeah. monthly quotas? Like, what were those quotas like? It was usually uh, two to three recruits. Um, was average and then they would do uh what i don't know what marines called it but uh it'd be grad alpha grad bravo and then you'd have senior alpha senior bravo those are senior alpha is anybody that scores over a 50 on the asvab Mm -hmm. it's same with grad alpha Mm -hmm. graduate you know uh graduated from high school um and then then you'd have your others 
you never got tasked with another, but they might fit in a category to make your number. Uh, an other would be somebody with a GED or uh, something like that. And you got points based on you didn't get a bonus. Everybody thinks they get bonuses, whatever. At least I didn't um, <laughs> get uh you get points and you wanted to achieve different things. So you get uh, more, more sapphires or gold stars in your badge, your recruiting badge. And then you work your way up to a recruiting ring. Um, I was able to achieve that. And then the next level is like morale award, which is that's your career recruiters. Um, there's a few that get it in three years, but it's, I mean, those are the guys that just, they're in a really good area or they're just, 80, 90 hours a week yeah. pounding it. And that is they didn't. <laughs> they, they didn't have any money for, for bonuses because they were spending it on drones that they're losing in the <laughs> So, Caleb, we brought it up earlier. That that feeling of, you know, you, you just, not that we turn into nobodies, but that feeling of purpose, that feeling of belonging to something goes away once you get out. So you do that time as a recruiter. You said, you know, personally things changed in your life and it was, it was just time to go. You, you get out. Did you know then that you wanted to try to get into sales? Um, not really, I guess. Yeah. I think um, my first job was uh, I was a, a route sales. Okay. Um, it was I thought it was more like service than sales. And it really helped me, you know, as much as I felt like I was a nobody. It did help me in my civilian career to learn those things and learn how to interact with people and, you know, get them what they needed. Uh, so I, um, I, I think that it built me to move on and on and get, and I, I, the company I was with, I worked my way up with them eventually. Um, I think, I don't think I was any fast track. But, um, I had to prove myself. Um, and I've told, I had this conversation with my wife, you know, I basically started my career when I got out of the army, mm -hmm. you know, you don't, it's not like I had already done 10 years. And then, so anything that she does, she's about 10 years ahead of me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, because that's just the way, way it works. And I'm not saying that negatively, that's just, they look at what your civilian career was and, uh, and working yourself back up to this point, I think can be um, a little, little overwhelming at times because, mm -hmm. you know, the bottom doesn't pay as much. And, you know, that concept, that idea that, you know, you're not making a whole lot of money in the military can also go in the civilian, you know, when they hire somebody, they think, well, this guy's used to the, he doesn't make a whole lot of Bottom of barrel. Yeah. Yeah. I make good money. You know, mm -hmm. and aren't not as a private, but when you I got out as an E six pay grade, you're getting BAH, mm -hmm. you, you know, paying for your housing, paying for your food, all those things. Um, recruiting duty pays uh, an extra because it's special duty assignment. Mm -hmm. All those things, overseas pay, you don't pay taxes, all, all those yeah. things that go in, and then you get out and you're like, well, you're going to make fifteen bucks an hour. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's not going to work out. I still have bills <laughs> to pay now. Yeah, yeah. 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 So are you also yeah. paying for my housing? Because I, mean, <laughs> I don't see the BA. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, and you know, H I brought this, up, <laughs> yeah, brought this up earlier. You're, you know, you talked about being that rats, route sales. You you started to build those skills of sales as a recruiter. That route sales really started to polish you up. You know, you got out as that hunk of coal, and you started to polish yourself up. Uh, so where did you go after the route sales? You, you kept on with the sales. Yes. Uh, then I went into man supervising a group of the same deal, you know, mm -hmm. right along with them, tell them what they're doing right, what they're doing wrong, things like that. And then eventually you kind of take over with uh, going to a, a higher management role where the supervisor is reporting to you and you're just managing the, the day to day things. And you're really out in front. Your job is to be out in front of the customer without the route sales or, or anything. You're not you're responsible for, um, you know, you got top, uh, if I remember right, like 180 customers that you're needing to talk to on a regular basis. And you're, you're measured by that. How, how many face to face did you have? Telephone, all those things. And, um, that taught me a lot too with, uh, what it takes to get a sale. 
you know, so many times that in recruiting, you had P1 to P4 prospecting. You, uh, P1 was like your mail at that time or email. And P2 was picking up the phone, smiling and dialing. That's how you made your appointments. P3 was out there face to face at the kiosk at the mall. You know, you're just, you're out there just running into somebody and, and, uh, the pizza guy, the guy delivers pizza. He doesn't know he's about to, uh, be an appointment tomorrow. You know what I mean? So you're, you're constantly looking for that next opportunity. But the, the big thing that a lot of people forget is follow up, you know, and I think that's even when you go back to getting a new, going into a new career. Um, when you go interview, I think that one of the best things you can do when you leave that and not as soon as you get in your car, you know, let them mull over it and all that. But within 24 hours, you need to send them some type of correspondence, email, however you've been communicating and thank them for the opportunity. Just mm -hmm. brief. Thank you for the opportunity. It was nice to get to know you, blah, blah, blah. Maybe there's something that that's an opportunity for you to say something that maybe you're like, man, I really didn't respond to that question as well as I'd like, but maybe I could polish it up a little mm -hmm. bit better and just throw a little bit of one liner in there to get their, grab their attention again. And I've done that many times. That's a, that, that's a great point though. I, I just, when you just said follow up, I, I thought about two instances. Uh, I recently purchased something uh, from a, a contractor and the, the purchase was in, it's a, a service that's supposed to be provided. But then after I like banging on my door, banging on my door to make that purchase. And then after the purchase was complete, nothing. Nothing about execution, nothing about delivery, nothing. It's just stopped. And I, I realized this the other day because I'm like, man, I paid for this. I need to go get it executed. Um, secondarily to that, and, and again, it's it's a, along the lines of a contractor, I have had – I wonder how many people lose business, lose potential business because they come out, they give you an estimate, they have the initial conversation, and then nothing happens after that. Uh, another example of this is I had somebody come out and bid me for a new deck, and this was probably in the fall. And they bid me for the deck. They're like, we'll get back to you in like a week with, a, with an estimate. Nothing. Six months later, they're calling me now. They're like, hey, we, you know, do you still want to do the deck? And I'm like, yeah, but not with you guys because yeah. it took you six months to get back to me. It, it, like, I don't, I don't want that business. Uh, and, and I think that, I, I think you're absolutely right, Caleb. It, it, it comes back in. Like, if we have an initial conversation, especially if you're a salesperson or as a recruiter, it works the same. Uh, I want to, if I'm really interested in talking to you, I'm going to stay on top of you. I'm going to, I'm going to keep in, keep in, you know, uh, with a sale, especially if you're commission based or, or making some sort of something on top of your salary, um, and to pass up a potential opportunity just by not following up, by not having one phone call or one email afterwards. I wonder how many like millions or billions of dollars in sales are lost on a annualized basis. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we're almost at that hour, Mark, so we're going to get on out of here this week. Caleb, I want to thank you very much for coming on and, and sharing some time with us today. Uh, you made some thank great you points. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so you're down in Nashville now. You're going to put out a country record anytime soon? Probably not. No. <laughs> <laughs> I just I figured that's what everybody goes to Nashville to do. <laughs> you're, walk down the strip. I don't know what that street's called. Walk down the strip. Probably in a, in a non, in a non COVID world, walk down that strip and literally every window has a band in it. Not kidding. <laughs> Took my son there a few, a few years ago and he was amazed. Like, dad, we're walking down the street and every window has a band playing. Mm -hmm. Every window has a drummer in it. It's yeah. kind of interesting. And well, even if it's on the first floor, second floor, same bar, right? They'll both have one. Yep. Wow. Yep. Yeah. yeah. A lot of talent there. Yes. Yep. It's pretty crazy. Uh, Matt, you got anything before we get out of here? No, I have no sage advice. Um, Caleb, I appreciate you joining us today. Uh, Caleb Thanks, and I yeah. worked in the same company uh, a number of years back. And so, you know, it's one of those things where we, we keep the network alive. People you talk to even from time to time. And then, boom, one day they show up on LinkedIn and we're having a conversation. And it, it, it spurs this hour-long chat. So appreciate it, Caleb. Thank you. Uh, as always, you can find us on all the major social media platforms. So if you're there and you like us, follow us, uh, you know, like our posts, share them. We make them shareable. And uh, as far as podcasts go, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the other major podcast platforms. Leave us a rating review. Let us know how we're doing. Helps uh, us get out there. They push our content to other potential listeners, and we would appreciate that greatly. 
Until next time, we'll be right back here on the Beyond the Wire podcast.